Thanks for listening to this episode of Unpacking Mental Health. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do this by clicking the Buy Me A Coffee link in the show notes. And this is a $5 donation, which will keep the podcast ad-free and go towards covering the expenses. And I would love, love, love if you could give my Instagram and Facebook a follow and I will update you with the next podcast. So have a great day and I hope you enjoy. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Michelle Yandel about her experience with high-functioning anxiety, which turned to not-functioning anxiety, depression, following traumatic life events, and living with body dysmorphia. We talk about how Michelle's own experience has eventuated in her empowered eating courses and a focus on helping other people establish healthier relationships with both food and their own bodies. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. All right. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Um, so shall we start off um, with the high-functioning anxiety, what that looked like for you and what not-functioning anxiety <laughs> looked like? <laughs> that was the best way I could describe it, really. I mean, I, I honestly, if I think way back, I can't remember a time when I didn't have anxiety. It was something that I believe was gifted to me by my parents unintentionally. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a, a ge- genetic component to it. So I, I had anxiety for as long as I remember. I remember it starting to um, just always be in the background. And the anxiety for me, it wasn't around anxious thoughts, per se. It was more of a, a physical component. So I saw somebody describe it like, uh, or describe their own anxiety, like being on a roller coaster. And you know that dip before you go down, mm-hmm. where your stomach kind of goes up into your, <laughs> yeah. into your throat or into your heart? That was what it felt like for me 24 hours a day. I just off and on, off and on, off and on, this sort of butterflies in your stomach. And um, and it would just be like I could be completely enjoying my day. It could be nothing, you know, no anxious thoughts occurring. But that physical response was almost there. Yeah. And, and it never was a problem in a sense because I'd gotten used to it. And so um, I would go through periods of being quite anxious and then being tired and then anxious and then tired. But I said, you know, my motto was always, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. So I'd be anxious about something, but I just had to, you know, go on with life and do stuff. So I very much functioned normally. Yeah with anxiety, you know, wrote books, would do talks, did my TEDx, all these things, the whole time feeling this incredible anxiety. Oh, but you, I was You did a TEDx talk with yeah. incredible anxiety. Oh, like, actually, that was like really intense. That was like putting my um, my head between my neck, legs, thought I was going to throw up kind of anxiety. But <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> but we got through that. Um, yeah. But so it was just always, yeah, always there. And then I would say, and it's probably connected to, you know, you mentioned about my depression, and I think it was very much connected to that, that it intensified following a series of really big life events and really um, some traumatic events and different things that occurred all at once. And so only, I would say, in the last year did I start to think, okay, I'm not functioning as well. Okay. Okay. There's something different happening than what I'm used to. And what it started to look like to where it became a concern for me was that I uh, was unable to really concentrate on things. So uh, things like normally I would, you know, have no problem sitting and reading a book for five hours or whatever. Like I couldn't do that. I would get too distracted. Lose focus. Yeah, really lost a lot of focus. Uh, I was forgetting things at work or not able to, and that's with one of my contracts that I have, I was forgetting uh, things that were relayed to me or I was 
not hearing them properly or I don't know what it was, but I was forgetting a lot and I was starting to go, oh, this is weird. I was getting, I think the, the rock, sort of rock bottom point for me was I was in Wellington and, you know, I travel all the time through Wellington, all that sort of thing. And I got on the wrong train and I was going the complete opposite direction and I was just, that was like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. <laughs> and I was like on the train crying. I'm like, Aww. this is too much. I'm like, what is going on? And that's when I decided to go talk to my GP who knew that I had, you know, battled with anxiety for a while and sort of tried to get to the bottom of it. But I remember writing uh, her this email because I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to verbalize this properly. So I wrote to her first and she's a wonderful GP over at Health Space and uh, she's been my GP for a long time. And, and as I wrote this big, long, all these different, I guess, symptoms or things that I was experiencing physically. And yeah, she's like, how are you coping? <laughs> you know? Are you okay? I was like, well, this is, yeah, this has been life uh, for a long time. But uh, yeah, it was getting to that point where I couldn't do my job. And I think it's one of those things that it, it chips away little bit by bit by bit. And so you don't really notice it. It's almost like the snowball effect that it gets to, like, to say that point where uh, it, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back or whatever mm. they say. And so you don't even realize these, that it even is getting worse yeah. until you get to that point. Is that the first time in your life that it's gotten so bad? You say you've had it forever. So mm. that's the first time you've really had to take an action. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, other times, you know, I could do things, uh, you know, like meditation or I could, you know, I used to be, be a school teacher. I was anxious all the time. I was really, you know, it was really quite stressful, but I've never got to the point where it actually affected my work. Yeah, right. And that's that was the catalyst for me was that it was starting to affect my work and my concentration and my memory and being able to sit and do the things that I loved and yeah so it was um yeah it was a very new experience for me <laughs> yeah yeah and quite upsetting I imagine you know having that come in and throw everything around in your life that you've got all nicely set up <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and and it was like say starting to just you know really drain my energy too and you know, because with anxiety, a lot of us experience, you know, the highs and then we're quite low as well. So it takes a lot, I think, to feel like you're going on a roller coaster 24 hours a day Yeah, yeah, <laughs> out of your body. And then you sort of, you know, get a bit tired as well. So there's lots of ups and downs. And I was just over it. Yeah. Um. I, you know, I could walk alongside anxiety and I was fine with it. It was always there. But when it started to affect, you know, the things that I wanted to do, that was when I was like, mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened from there after the GP visit? What things did you do to rectify yeah. it? Well, um, I have, I've tried other things because in the past I've, you know, I've tried, obviously I, I still have a really, what I would consider a really overall healthy diet. I, I work as a nutrition coach. So the nutrition side of things was there. The sleep was there. I was sleeping. Uh, you know, I did do the occasional meditation. I probably could have done more of all these sorts of things. So I was like, all right, well, what's the next step? And my sister, who also struggles with anxiety and depression, has been taking medication for a long time. And there was a, a nutritionist uh, online who was talking about her experience with medication. And I said, I was at that point where I was just willing to try anything. And I said, I remember saying to my GP, you know, what if this is a game changer? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know until I try. And, yeah. you know, I've always been sort of I guess growing up in this holistic kind of household, I thought, oh, you know, medication, oh, that's too cliche, and I don't mm. want to be in medication and be medicated. You know. Yeah, it can seem a bit scary. If yeah, you've done yeah, it I'd never done it before. I was really so I was quite nervous about that, and so I, I said, well, let's. She said, well, let's just try it and see, you know, and and like I say, she's a very holistic doctor too, and she was really open to that, and you know, she said, let's give it a whirl. 
Uh, and it was, it was, it was game changing. It was life changing. I've just had so much more motivation, but mostly it's, it's like lots of people end up taking medication. It gives you the uh, ability to then put in those health promoting habits that mm. potentially you couldn't do before when it yeah. was all too much. And so even though there's a lot of stigma about medication, you know, and saying we should do all these things to help our mental health that are, you know, the eating right and all that stuff, which we do. For some people, it's it's hard to do those things mm -hmm. when you're in that state. And so by working with medication, you can then start to put those steps in and build them again so that when you do decide to go off medication, then you've got a good foundation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it took yeah. me a lot to get to this point where I go you know what, it's okay to get a little bit of help, mm. you know. <laughs> yeah, and how long have you been taking them now? Uh, for about, uh, oh gosh, about five months, okay. five or six months, yeah. So yeah. this is all very recent, yeah. yeah. And what are you taking, do you? Um, I can't I honestly can't remember the name of it. Okay. Sorry, right, that's all right. No <laughs> oh, it starts with an S. Um, Sertraline? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think that's okay. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it has been a game changer. I've gotten so much done, and you know my energy's improved because I'm not up and down, up and down. Mm. Uh, I think I'd forgotten what it felt like to just feel normal, for lack of a better term. Yeah. I yeah. think you know I just. It's more of like a plateau, isn't it? I've probably been back on Prozac is what I've been taking right. for the last three months. So yeah. um, it's my second round of taking that. But okay. And funnily, the first time I took it was a year or so ago. And then I have been in therapy and doing yeah. all the other things and yeah. weaned off it. But a few more events popped up for me and kind of went back to that. But I was really not sure about starting it again yeah even though I've already had the experience and it's funny isn't it after a little while yeah it's just like such a relief yeah it's a relief feeling I yeah think. I mean I feel like I said again I don't know how else to describe it I feel normal I still get anxious I still get anxious hmm. thoughts you yeah. know I think I thought maybe I'd be wandering around like a zombie without any emotions or yeah. something but I just feel you know, if uh, a situation warrants anxiety, like say I was going to go and do another TED Talk, which I'm not going to do, I would feel anxiety about that. Yeah. But what's gone is that constant underlying physical sensation, mm -hmm. you know. It's less like dread and more like just regular anxiety, like a healthy Yeah, just healthy, normal, or... save me from a, you know, saber-toothed tiger kind of primal yeah. anxiety <laughs> that you get. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, which is good. I, I wouldn't want to feel no emotions, mm -hmm. obviously. Um, so, you know, feeling the feels when they're warranted. Yeah. And, you know, of course, I still have anxious thoughts. It's not going to change my thoughts, but it's not affecting my day to day. And like I say, my concentration, my memory is back. Like, it wasn't just me being 43. <laughs> <laughs> and did it take you very long to get from where you were in a bit of a hole to feeling better how, how not that too long it? it was very much for a while of oh this isn't working this isn't going to work you know it's like uh just another thing and now uh, it's not going to work and it didn't and then and then it started to and it was like oh so I would say not long after probably a month or two before okay. I just started to feel like normalized to mm -hmm. me uh, and finding the right dose as well and and all of that so um, yeah, I'm I'm all for it. I don't know how long I'll be I'll be on it, but I'm just one day at a time. And right now, it just you know it feels good to feel like myself again mm. instead of feeling like uh, like I said where I was you know high functioning anxiety to a point where the anxiety was controlling 
my life. Yeah. And now I feel like I have control over it again, even if it is due to, you know, medications that are helping me with that. But hey, why not? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Life's short, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the enjoying. Mm. I think for me as well, the big change has been sleep. Mm. Um, when my anxiety gets too rowdy and not when I wasn't taking medication, it starts to creep into my night times and mm. I'll be lying awake and, you know, ruminating on things. But the medication seems to kind of pull all of that back and mm. just let you go to sleep, which is nice. And then yeah. you can recalibrate, you know, that yeah. rejuvenating sleep. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I mean, I've been really lucky. Sleep's never been the issue. I've always had a really good sleep, but I did feel a lot of fatigue during the day. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking when you were talking how people have always said to me how, how calm and, and stuff I feel. And I, I may appear calm, but it's sort of like a duck, you know, underwater, the legs are going like yeah. full tilt, but yeah. on the outside, they're like, oh, you're so calming and relaxing. And, you know, yeah. but yeah, it's funny that. Yeah, I think it's funny. And one of the reasons that I like to do this podcast and talk to people is often the high functioning people who do have these things going on, people don't suspect at all or, mm. you know, people... Yeah expect something like what it looks like in the movies or yeah you know <laughs> exactly yeah but, um it's not it can definitely just yeah. function and people doing all kinds of different things and jobs and so. I think it's really important to have these conversations because then I would hope that somebody potentially listening to this uh, wouldn't feel so isolated mm. but, and for yeah. me it was I say hearing from that nutritionist who was sharing her experience with taking medication and if I hadn't heard her speaking openly about that I may never have take that le- taken that leap to try it myself yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Right. so it's good yeah absolutely so where does the depression fit in with what you've been experiencing lately yeah um the depression was I, I haven't had too much of an experience with that lately it's interesting depression because I guess the the cliche was that I always thought of depression as, you know, sadness and feeling low, uh, which, you know, I was a little bit, but it was mainly a real just lack of, of motivation and, uh, you know, just a real fatigue and, and lack of interest and in things that used to interest me and, and all of that. So I never felt so much of, the, of a sadness. Like when somebody says, oh, I feel depressed, you often they mean I feel sad, you mm-hmm. know, and I didn't yeah. feel that sadness. It was more of a lack of enthusiasm for things that used to make me enthusiastic, I guess. Yeah. So, and that I think was partly due to just, you know, a bit of a bit of burnout uh, from just so much that had gone on, you know, and as far as building up my career and all that as well. But also the, you know, I, there was quite a few big events, you know, great events sometimes, like moving house, buying a new house, you know, all of these are yeah. are joyous things, but incredibly stressful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and there was a period where, um, you know, my husband was unemployed and there was little things like that, these constant little stresses. And then I had quite a few uh, uh, deaths back to back of people who were really close to me, including uh, Sue Gunderson, who was part owner of the Benina Waitara. And she was, I used to call her my Kiwi mother. So, uh-huh. She passed away quite suddenly, um, followed then by, then I did the TEDx talk, and that was really stressful, as I said. And while I was doing my TEDx talks, my father was also dying of cancer, so I had that going on in the background, and he passed away three days after that. And traveling to Canada, traveling back, traveling again, sort of thing. Yeah, that's um, a lot. And then it sounds, I guess, silly, but to anybody who's, who's an animal lover... 
I lost my one of my cats in a really traumatic way. And it was just all of the stuff and, and a close friend from home as well. So there was somebody else. So was yeah, like, yeah. All at once for somebody who had never. I think pets are a big thing. Like they're a big part of your life and your house. And yeah. Your home, like it was, yeah. It was, it was major um, for us. And, you know, and so that was like for somebody who had never really luckily experienced much death in my life, you know, I mean, grandparents and that sort of thing, but I've never had anybody really close to me pass away Mm -hmm. Uh, on top of all of these, you know, major life changes and life events that were happening and building a, you know, becoming self-employed and building that up. So there's so much going on. I think my body just got to a point where it was like, okay, hold on, (laughs) we need to stop. (laughs) Settle down. Right. And, and so that's basically, I think what happened. And so I went from periods of anxiety to feeling quite low and unmotivated and, and, you know, overwhelmed, overwhelmed, like littlest things, like the thought of making dinner that night would just overwhelm me. You know, it was just, everything just seemed too much. Yeah. is the way that I could best describe it. It was just, everything was too much. And, and that went on for quite a while. And again, I, I just, I didn't attribute it to depression until uh, the therapist that I was working with actually, you know, suggested it. And that's the first I'd ever heard of it. It was, you know, I was like, oh, right, depression. Oh, that's a new one. Yeah. <laughs> add that to right. Let's add that to the list. Um, but no, it was, I think it was always, I think, I, I mean, I know that anxiety and depression are quite interlinked. Mm-hmm. And so I probably had periods of it. I mean, I, I can think of honestly, I mean, I know we all have teenage angst, but I remember writing these horribly depressing poems <laughs> in high school oh. you know really sad stuff and I was like maybe I've actually been feeling this way for a long time I don't right. know but I you, guess when you don't live any differently that's your normal isn't it mm. so you wouldn't how would you know if you were you know on a scale of what if it's normal yeah. <laughs> I mean we grew up in the grunge days everybody was sad and miserable but you know <laughs> <laughs> did you what, keep the poems yeah I was thinking of that the other day. I I can't, I don't know where I put them. I have no idea, but Uh, I can remember them. And I can remember there was a few of them. And um, that I just, yeah, I don't know where they are. It was a long time ago. I used to do a lot of poetry. Right. Yeah. How interesting it would be to find them. And yeah, I go, oh, geez, you poor kid. (laughs) Are you okay? (laughs) What are you going through? Yeah. So funny. But again, I, it's, it's, it's functioning. I mean, being self-employed, I can't stop. I can't take sick leave. I can't. Yeah. I mean, I can, but I can't if I want to pay the bills. And yeah, that yeah. It's thing. a whole so, another kind of stress, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So there was never any. I mean, I remember so many times where I just, I just wanted to be able to stop. I just wanted to take like, you know, a month off work or whatever. As much as I love what I was doing, just mm-hmm. because I felt like I just wanted to lie on the couch for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I couldn't, and uh, that was added, like you say, I think an added stress as well. But um, you know, that hasn't resurfaced for a little while which is which is great um yeah. it's been mostly that that anxiety that's became heightened yeah 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 do yeah. you think it has covid and that whole thing had much to do with it for you good point yeah i think that was probably we talk about straws that break the camel's back um i think for me i'm, I'm quite a I'm quite a empath i'm really really sensitive to other people and though the i the covid lockdowns and the pandemic weren't stressing me out, you know, I was like, oh, great, get to stay home all the time. You know, I, it wasn't stressing me out. But the collective stress, I think, of the world <laughs> yeah, was yeah. sort of stressing me out and in that unknown. And at the same time, while we were in the middle of lockdown, um, 
just in my in my home one of my hometowns in Canada there was this is a depressing podcast story but this is by, um, there was a the the largest mass um murder in Canada ever oh. and it was in my hometown area oh, yeah. and you know friends were texting me and and you know saying oh we're not allowed to leave the house you know we're gonna lock the doors there's somebody out there oh, that's terrifying that was um you know murdering people and you know then a few weeks later my mom's like oh we're just gonna text again that you know we have to stay inside there's somebody out there with a gun and all this stuff. I was like oh my gosh what is going on but it was all of this was happening during COVID and it was like it was shortly after that that I think my body's like okay yeah we're giving everything else <laughs> mass murders COVID yeah <laughs> we're done we're gonna make you a little bit depressed for a while I think you yeah. need it yeah do you think it is a signal from your body to just sometimes stop and slow down yeah, a, yeah might be totally yeah. yeah I mean it definitely got to a point where I don't think it could handle all this this weight of the world literally mm, you yeah. know and I think it did get to that point where everything was too much because you know there was so much going on yeah and the body's like man and you gotta make dinner on top of all that <laughs> yeah, I don't want to make dinner <laughs> Man, I just want to like don't lie wanna, down. Don't want to feed the pits or do the dishes or yeah, any exactly, of that stuff. Exactly. Yeah, it's funny that how our body sends us those messages, but it certainly did. Yeah. 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 Oh, and it didn't have you turning to alcohol and food and all those types of no, coping tools. That no. Do. Um. Yeah, that's a good point. No, I, I, I never. I shouldn't say never. When I was younger, maybe, but. No, I didn't turn to to any type of vices like that. I guess in that sense, I was lucky. It was more of a, I don't know. No, I mean, I've never eaten, um, I haven't eaten emotionally for a very long time, I should say. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess I'm, I guess I'm lucky. No sad stories about that. Yeah. Oh, that's good. (laughs) But on that topic, so emotional eating for you was a start of, this whole journey into nutrition and um, what would we say? Yeah. The career choice that you've taken. Yeah. It? Yeah. Or, or not so much. I think, well, I, I know it started really when I was really young, I would say maybe 10 or 11. And I often talk about this on my page and that sort of thing, but I was, you know, I guess categorized as an, a bigger child. I was overweight and I had, um, over what weight? I don't know, but you're classified as overweight. Yeah, yeah. And I had, you know, the bottle cut glasses and the perm on top of all. Oh, right. <laughs> so I was basically a walking bullseye for, for bullies and that sort of thing. And, and my mom and my sister had always been on uh, diets as well. So we grew up in a dieting household. It was part of life. And so because I was a child in a bigger body. The only solution that everyone could think of was for me to go on a diet. And so that's, I've been, I mean, say I, by the time I was 14, I'd been on about that many different diets, I'm sure. And, and that's sort of where it started for me. I mean, I can remember going to Weight Watchers with my mother and getting weighed with that horrible scale that oh, they have at the gym. As and, a child. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you're getting it done in front of all these people. They're not announcing it, but, you know, you're yeah, sitting there yeah. and, and I still remember that. I don't think they do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. Hopefully yeah. not. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, going to 
this thing called Tops at the hospital with my mom. Like it was a weight loss group, and okay. I really liked that one because they had secret pals. <laughs> was it your choice to go, or did she encourage you? Yeah, I don't you remember being forced. I okay. think because I was really desperate to lose the weight, and okay. so I thought that this would do it. And also, you know, I remember being turned down at Nutrisystem, which is kind of like Jenny Craig. Okay. With the ready-made meals, I got turned down because I was too young. So I don't know how old I would have been at the time, but yeah. I remember them saying, you know, she's too young and, and that sort of thing. So that's that's where that unhealthy relationship with food started, was being um, a teased but bigger child when I was little. So at that stage, yeah. I think I was probably, if it hadn't been for that, I would have been a very happy child that didn't have any issues really mm-hmm. you know yeah I mean normal issues but yeah, yeah no overarching bullying happening all the time yeah no that was just yeah that started like I say once once I got bigger that's when the bullying started it was more of a a neglect bullying so I that's a word I don't know I just made it up but the in the sense of like if we're playing team sports I wouldn't get picked okay because I was bigger and I was slower or it was like, you know, teasing and laughing about me not having a boyfriend when other people did and that sort of stuff. So it was more like, or like rolling the eyes. It was never like, I felt never like I was a target. Okay. It was more of a, a collective feeling of not belonging. Okay. And yeah, and people sort of solidifying that. Boys were a bit harsher than girls at the time. Mum used to say, oh, it's just because they like you. And I'm like, oh. No, it's not because they like me. But yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Right. <laughs> She's trying pretty to make sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty sure they don't like me, mom, but thanks. Um, yeah, so that's where that whole journey started. But I didn't get involved with nutrition and for quite a long time. So it was that, I guess it was that wanting to be healthy and equating that with thinness that started this whole, uh, I guess, not obsession, but it was for a while, like a real keen interest in nutrition and health. Mm-hmm. And I can remember at one point wanting to be a dietitian when I was little and, you know, but then realizing I had to do like chemistry and stuff. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never chemistry was quite good. So many people have degrees. Right? Yeah. I know, right? And uh, so I never, I never pursued it. And then I actually ended up going to school teaching. And so I was a school teacher for quite a few years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then ended up back into this health wellness industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So through that time of teaching and I guess training, your your relationship with food was normalized or has that only come uh, about more recently? No, no. I, I would say that my relationship with food was never normal. Um, I, in the sense of being really hyper-focused on eating foods that would keep me thin. Okay. You know, yeah. I would be the best way to describe it. So even if I tried, you know, all this, this new healthy eating plan, it was always in the past solely, oh, I'll stay, I'll stay thin, right. you know? Like calorie counting and... Yeah, or yeah. even just like going vegan or going this sort of thing. I thought that if I was vegan, I would stay slim because I had lost all the weight. Okay. But I still wanted to stay there and I still never really thought it was thin enough or good enough, you know? Okay. Yeah, so there was a lot of, um, yeah, just say like even when I did paleo, the thing, it's like this pursuit for perfectionism around health Mm. with the side effect of hopefully staying slim you know and these sorts of things yeah Yeah. oh paleo and veganism is quite different though isn't it (laughs) yeah if I was vegan paleo (laughs) 
<laughs> oh right. Yeah, okay, so yeah. none of the meat, but just no. I was I was veg. Uh, yeah, I've been vegan. I've done it all. I've been vegan, vegetarian, raw. Um, but I was vegetarian for 27 years, so I stuck with that for a long time, and in and out of being vegan during that 27 years as well. Okay. Um, yeah. But I do eat meat now, and so I did. You know, I did keto. I've done everything. Like you name it, I've done yeah. it. So. It's, uh, but again, the intention of those things wasn't healthy. It wasn't, um, because you know, you, you do, you're restricting foods mm-hmm. and purely self is of what your body looks like to other people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's crazy how we do that. And it's so, I guess, cemented in culture, isn't it? That you have to be thin to be good. Mm. Or... In our culture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In Western world. I mean, if you were to go, uh, to you know any some other countries uh, I know even there's some tribes in Africa where you know being bigger is valued and you know even in India there's certain parts of being you know bigger is associated with being healthy and being okay. fertile and all these sorts of things wealthy because you can yeah. afford the food yeah absolutely and you know I know that there's a lot of oops, I'm sorry. I think there's a lot of a Stigma, there's, well, there's a lot of research done on uh, the racial origins of fat phobia as well and how um, there's actually a book called, uh, oh, no, I'm going to pull a blank right now. Um, Fearing the Black Body is what it is, and it talks about the racial origins of fat phobia and how in uh, African culture, you know, curves and and everything are celebrated, whereas, and, and we would often frown upon that because we were seen, had seen it as blackness and you know associated with blackness being curvy and that sort of thing so so it could stem to racism yeah yeah great so it's a great book to read I don't claim to be at all an expert in that but it just shows that our our ideals are you know appearance ideals are different wherever we are in the world or what Mm. period in time we were born or (laughs) yeah absolutely and they change and so trying the bar keeps changing ultimately yeah yeah but yet we're humans and mostly women would you say in my experience Mm. in circles are still striving to be good enough or yeah reach some target you know yeah and and yeah a lot you know i would say probably mainly women but that's not to dismiss that there are men and and non-binary people who are also you know struggling with that as well Mm. and with identity and yeah it's uh well, I mean, there's a there's a billion dollar industry that is trying to profit off making us feel worthless and making us feel that our skin is not perfect enough, our body's not thin enough, our you know cellulite's gross, whatever. All these things to try to sell us something, to sell us a diet, or to sell us a product, and to sell us this. And so there's a lot of money to be made on us feeling subpar. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah I hadn't really thought about it like that. That's very sad, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think there's a there was a quote, something along the lines of the next time you're feeling bad about yourself or your body, think who profits from this emotion. Yeah, you know? yeah, and, and it's, it's put out there in the media so heavily, social media and TV and wherever. Yeah, you know, I mean, when you when you look around, you're walking down the street and you look around. You know, I encourage anybody listening to this to actually pay attention to people around you when you're downtown and look at all the different body sizes and shapes and and that sort of thing and then look at television and look at you know media in general and you're only seeing this one shape 
and style of person, basically, mm. and they only account for like ten percent of the world. And what yet, it actually looks like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and yet, we're all striving for that instead of just looking around us and realizing, you know, how different we all are. But yeah, yeah. I guess when we struggle with our own confidence, we start looking to ways to make ourselves happy and think that maybe if we look this way, we might be happy, or if we achieve this, we might be happy. Absolutely. And when you even get to a certain weight, I've done it myself, got to mm. the goal weight and didn't just miraculously become happy that day. That's not how it works. <laughs> no, I mean, I lost a goal. I lost all the weight probably when I was 16 years old. You know, right, and I wasn't yeah. happy for a long time after that. Yeah, you know? it wasn't the silver bullet that gave you the good life. Yeah, there's yeah. always, I say, there's always something that could be wrong that somebody could profit off of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. they just have to point it out to you to make you concerned about it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, that's, that is depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, this is a depressing podcast, but there's, there's hope. There's hope. Um, yeah, I'm making it my mission to try to help people become more embodied and to be able to um, take care of and, and respect their body where it is. So there is there is hope. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit more then. How has your own experience set you on track to helping other people with empowered eating? Yeah. I mean, like I say, I've, I've been there, done that. I know what a lot of people are struggling with when it comes to body confidence and wanting to have the perfect diet to, you know, be our healthiest self or to uh, be, you know, well, I should say to be our healthiest self because a lot of people associate health with a body size. So they're thinking if they get to their healthiest self, they'll get to that perfect body size as well. Right. So I, I'd say I, I've been there, done that. I know what that's all about. And so after sort of I hate to use the word healing, but helping my relationship with food and relationship with my body, I've then created, you know, these these empowered eating programs to really help people to be able to feel the same way. Mm. You know, um, it's a journey. And I think a lot of people, I always try to tell people when they do the programs that I'm offering, you know, don't treat it like another diet. Mm. You can't fail at this. It's not going to be perfect all at once. Yes, you there's know? no test. Or... There's no yeah. test, you know. <laughs> and and absolutely. So it's, yeah, it's definitely been that journey and that experience that has brought me to this point of being able to not only teach, you know, all of us about empowered eating, but also training health coaches to help their clients and with empowered eating principles and that sort of thing. So okay. it's, um, yeah, it's become a bit of a, a, a ripple effect, but ultimately I want to help people be healthy. Yeah. Right. So that's always been my goal is to help people be healthy, but in order to do that, sometimes we have to change what our perception of health is. Mm -hmm. And yeah. part of that was for me returning to, I, I've got indigenous um, background Canada and it was turning to what we call the medicine wheel which is essentially similar to Te Whare Tapafa here in New Zealand. But this idea that health is more than just the body, yeah. it's healthy mind, spirit, heart, and it's similar to the medicine wheel. And so when I started to realize that and how we put so much emphasis on the body and lately a little bit more on the mind, mm -hmm. you know, mental health, physical health, yeah. but we're not nourishing those other areas or seeing their value. But when we start to nourish those other areas, that positively affects our eating habits and movement yeah. and mental health and all these sorts of things. So they are all interrelated. And that's sort of where this idea for empowered eating came about. So in other words, to heal our relationship with food, 
we need to look at what parts around and our other lo- in the rest of our lives need healing as well and mm. and that's sort of where that came yeah that that sort of concept came from yeah yeah so do you coach people one-on-one or do you do groups um i'm not i i do have an offering to teach people one-on-one i'm not doing it as much anymore what i'm focusing on is training other health coaches and health professionals to become empowered eating coaches to be able to teach this as well it's mostly a time thing for me okay and i'm also doing my i have my online course which people can do with support so if somebody wanted to do my course with support they could have a session with me at the start and i could explain to them about the program and set some goals with them and then kind of check in with them every once in a while through the program as well. So I I have run group coaching programs. I'm looking to do something potentially in the new year as well, a group coaching top secret thing. Um, (laughs) Oh, stay tuned. (laughs) Stay tuned. Watch this space. Uh, But yeah, and I'm also starting a, because I've realized, you know, working with, with mostly women for as long as I have now that are struggling with all these issues that, you know, it starts it started a long time ago, this this uh, negative self-image and, you know, mm. the eating, the dieting, all that sort of stuff started a long time ago. And there's that quote about, you know, people coming down the river and eventually get tired of pulling them out. You want to find out why they're falling in in the first place. And that sort of got to this point. I'm not tired of pulling out of people out of the river, but I do want to find out what's going on and prevent it from happening in the first mm. place. So, so the journey down. Yeah. So next next year, I'm running a pilot program for young people here in, in New Plymouth with the support of, of the New Plymouth Council and doing a, it's called the Brave Bodies Program. And it's all around helping young people to find peace within their bodies, which are different. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And teaching health from a, a non-diet perspective. And, yeah. you know, so it's for young people who want to be healthy through being um, more self-aware and you know um, feeling empowered with their own identity and all of these as well so that's going to be not just for young women but um, like say young men non-binary just anybody who yeah. wants to you know be well, healthier but you know not uh, yeah not go on a diet or, yeah basically yeah. not going to mess them up for the rest of their lives <laughs> yeah yeah right will that be um done in schools or will that be like an eventually extra... yeah. yeah the pilot's going to be run outside of school yeah. location um tba okay but looking to do it in new plymouth to start and doing a couple pilot runs to see whether uh, it's received well here it's it's actually a, a u.s based program okay that's never been offered here in new zealand so i want to test the market here and see how it go it's helped you know countless people in america in canada but hasn't been done here so that's where i've trained with and hoping to yeah. yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I think it's very important too, especially my daughter's 13. So she's just oh, coming right. into that kind of, you know, body awareness and shapes and yeah. who's the size or that size or what celebrities look like. So I think it's yeah. important to <laughs> keep it real a bit, you know, yeah. bring it back to, yeah. like you said, take a look around and yeah. have a look at what the kids at school might look like instead of the yeah. um, celebrities on social media yeah I think if I had just had somebody say to me I, you know I think of what message I would have liked to have heard and if a professional say a dietitian or a nutritionist or somebody had said to me you know I actually all bodies are different mm. um your body's not wrong you're healthy you can you've got lots of energy you do these things like I think that might have been well not all I needed to hear but would have really helped you know Don't I was, I was yeah. always taught that being in a bigger body was wrong I mean 
we have this, you know, if you look in the media, there's this war on obesity. And I just hate that term. I think, imagine if you were a, a person um, or a child in particular that was, you know, categorized as obese. There's a war on your body. There's a war mm. on these kids, you know. It yeah. just, yeah, it really upsets me. And I thought, you know, if I'd had that message when I was younger that actually all bodies are different and health is a feeling, not a look, I think that would have been a game changer. So I'm hoping that that will have the same effect some children here to get them to mm. actually realize and in turn to help them to be kinder to people that are in bigger bodies, knowing that it may not be their choice to be that size, that this is a genetic thing and that they're happy and whatever, you know. So I think it'll help them to be kinder to others as well. So Yeah, I guess, and even just removing the, I guess, the initial thought to judge or look at or even Mm. be concerned about what someone else's body looks like because it it really has nothing to do with your day. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It is none of your business. Yeah, yeah, totally. So that's the sort of things that I'm hoping to bring to the young people here is to help them to understand a little bit more about health from a non-diet perspective and Hmm. to help them to uh, be more confident and accepting in their own bodies and and embodiment and all of that. So yeah, I'm excited about it. Oh, cool. Watch the space. (laughs) And so the health coaches that you're teaching, are they women who have been through a similar life experience or Um, they just decided to go down the health route? No, I mean, some probably. Uh, I teach through the whole, um, the Holistic Performance Institute in Auckland. So okay. they train nutritionists and they train um, sports nutritionists and health coaches. And so I'm teaching the health coaching program there. I'm one of the okay. lecturers, but I've also created this separate add-on. So if somebody was a health coach or a nutritionist, that they could take this add-on separately to help them to learn these empowered eating concepts and okay. be able to help their patients and clients yeah right yeah okay. so it's cool it's only just just launched last <laughs> week it's brand new that course i've been teaching the health coaching course for a year now yeah but this little adjunct or add-on is yeah just brand new so it's pretty exciting oh very yeah. exciting yeah very cool cool so as far as mental health and eating and that whole cycle of eating something that perhaps you don't want to and then you feel depressed or sad about it and back and forth what have you got a little nugget of wisdom or something to share with people that are struggling yeah I mean it is it's it's a cycle a dieting cycle in the sense of like you say starting with you know feeling really bad about your body whether you're feeling um, quote unquote fat that day or whatever or you've blown it you know your diet and then you go and you um then you restrict again. You're like, I'm going to go on another diet. And so you restrict. And then eventually you get cravings. And you're like, oh, what can I do to get rid of my cravings? You know, you're seeking all that sort of stuff out. And then eventually you have a biscuit and you eat like 20 of them. And yeah. then you feel guilty. And you're like, well, I've already blown it. I might as well keep going. And then Make it the continues. Yeah. <laughs> and then you feel quote unquote fat again. And then you start that whole cycle over again. So my, my um, suggestion, I guess, is a really good place to start for people is what's that (laughs) my stomach is growling and talking about (laughs) talking about food too much um the the best uh, one thing i find a game changer for lots of people because a lot of people spend their time so much time online on social media is one to 
unfollow any accounts that make you feel like you're not good enough. Mm -hmm. So if something comes up to say, you know, oh, you know, could you lose 10 pounds or, you know, or mm -hmm. somebody who walks around in their like bikinis <clears throat> and it's just really triggering for you for whatever reason, I don't know. Anything that makes you feel like you're not enough or that you need to buy something to be better, whether it be a diet or whatever, mm -hmm. um, unfollow those, you know, click that little arrow on the right and unfollow. Yeah. And, um, and the other thing then is to start crowding your newsfeed in with diversity, you know, so looking for, I mean, I've got a long list that I, that I share with the people I work with, but ultimately looking for people that teach this non-diet approach, the um, body positive movement, just people, ableism, you know, looking for people that are actually in wheelchairs and that sort of thing. We just want all sorts of diversity on your newsfeed so that, and, and around you, I mean, pay attention to the people around you. Like we said before, you know, there are all different bodies. And if we can have our news feeds filled with all different bodies, mm, you know, that's it, a really good idea. it really starts to change how you view yourself. Yeah. Um, and hearing their stories. Um, there's one called the, um, the Fat Doctor is one that's in the UK. And she she shares a lot of personal stories and, uh, you know, health stuff as well. And. There's heaps, so like, do reach out to me if anybody ever wants a list. I give a super long list of my empowered eating course because that's one of the things. To, yeah, <laughs> that's really important to me. Or, or I tell people go to my Instagram page and click on who I follow, mm -hmm. and that'll give you <laughs> yeah a, a good, good place thing. to start too. Right. Um, or on my Brave Bodies Instagram, there's heaps of great pages to follow for that one too. So okay, yeah, I think that that's probably the best place to start. And as far as um, Food and eating, I often tell people to start with awareness in the sense of starting to pay attention to your eating habits. And that's something that I do in the Empowered Eating course as well, sort of getting people to actually stop and go, am I hungry before eating anything? And it's not to give yourself permission to eat. It's going, okay, well, if I'm not hungry, what do I actually need then? Because if I'm not hungry, food's not going to satisfy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> you always have the right to eat without guilt. That's fine. But, you know curious and so asking that question am i hungry is another tip that i i try to get people to start with so and again it's not about the i only eat when i'm hungry diet yeah it's about just curious what's going on i would say narrate your life like david attenborough you know like she goes to the biscuit you know does she <laughs> does she want the biscuit or does she you know just objectively you know like yeah. there's no yeah just emotional side to I it. I guess put it taking a step in a second to just think before loading yourself yeah. up if you don't want to. And sometimes you are going to want a donut and sometimes you are going to want um, whatever, you yeah. know. I see your donuts on Instagram. Yeah. You have one once a week, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only because they're expensive. I mean, and, and also I think sometimes, I mean, a lot of what I, when I teach people, it's about how food makes us feel, right? And so most times if I have a donut, I feel fine, but uh, I had a donut last week and it was massive. And I was like, actually like felt sick for the rest of the day. And I was yeah, like, yeah. okay, but that's a lesson. And it wasn't a, I feel guilty about that donut. It was like, My stomach I is... regret that donut. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so we, we have been, we've been going every, every week or so, but yeah, sometimes we miss it too. And that's the thing too, is that I don't, 
it doesn't bother me because I don't think about donuts 24-7 because I allow them. Like, I can have a donut whenever I want. Mm -hmm. And by allowing myself to have a donut whenever I want, I find that I actually don't want them more than once a week or less than once a week, you know? Yeah, yeah. you're not obsessing over No, that. but when we can't have a certain food or we tell ourselves we can't have a certain food, we want it even more, you know, and that's where cravings yeah. come from. I mean, it's the same with um, the takeaway situation in Auckland, you know, it's like when you tell and here, when you tell someone you can't have something, they can't go get takeaway. Suddenly it's open and people who don't even eat McDonald's are going to McDonald's. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> you know, and, and they're just buying, you're filling their whole boots, their cars with like KFC, KFC and, you yeah. know, like stuff you wouldn't normally do when it's an ample amount, but yeah. scarcity with food creates that. And so that's why unconditional permission is a, most terrifying but most rewarding thing that I help my clients with mm -hmm. as far as being okay with all foods. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm. Oh, very interesting. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. It's been very interesting to hear um, your journey and your little bits of advice, which are great. And you've written a book as well, haven't you? Yeah, I've got um, five books. Five uh, books? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've already read one. There we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I've got the um, – well, they're all on my Amazon store. So if somebody were to go on Amazon and search Michelle Yandel, okay. they would pop up that. there. Um, and then I've got one that's being released very soon, but that's part of that top secret thing. Ah, right. Yes. So keep your eyes peeled. So it's been written. So technically I've written five books, but yeah. only four are available at the moment. Wonderful. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. It was great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unpacking Mental Health. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do this by clicking the Buy Me A Coffee link in the show notes. And this is a $5 donation, which will keep the podcast ad-free and go towards covering the expenses. And I would love, love, love if you could give my Instagram and Facebook a follow and I will update you with the next podcast. So have a great day and I hope you enjoy.